Hello and welcome to First Ascent, a podcast about climbing. Here we discuss our favorite sport. Uh, I, I don't know, I've, I've always taken issue with the word sport for climbing. So would you say that climbing is more of a lifestyle? Um, it can be. I think an activity makes sense. Okay, welcome to First Ascent, a podcast about climbing, our favorite activity. I mean, that says it for me, but uh, it, it, it is a little bit... Um, Lame? Underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know what you're in for. So I'm Jay. I'm Lee. And join us regularly where we discuss all things climbing, whatever it may be. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to another uh, episode of First Ascent. Today, we have uh, Jesse Han on. He was involved in a, a recent incident up at Sundown. We are going to talk about uh, his accident and uh, recovery and, and all that. Well, we're so happy to have Jesse on. Jesse is originally from South Korea, but now he resides in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, and he's finishing up his PhD in astrophysics. So, yeah, so like, you know, NBD. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> he likes to climb a lot, but he's also really, he sent me a bio and the last sentence is, he wastes too much time pulling the perfect shot of espresso. So like, what is the perfect shot of espresso? And why, like pulling is a strange verb. Is that like the right verb in that sentence? Oh man, that's multi-layered. We've got an hour, right? <laughs> yeah, no, we got yeah, an yeah. hour. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into the yeah. hard hitting issues. No, I've been passionate about coffee since basically I was like 13 years old when my dad got gifted this espresso maker from my aunt. It was his first time making coffee. And then basically he needed someone to drink the coffee. So I was there <laughs> as a wee child. <laughs> ever since then, it's been a downhill ride. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's what you do? You pull the shot? Yeah. I use these things called lever press machines where you can generate your own pressure with which the espresso is brewed. It's like a physical pulling motion of the shot onto your cup. And it's like a beautiful, beautiful process. Yeah, we say that we pull a shot of espresso. Nice. I've definitely known other climbers who have who have gotten to that. It's it's almost like climbers, if given a little spark, can obsess over just about anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, one of my favorite memories is um, I once brought a portable espresso machine to um, Pawtuckaway. And then we were pulling espresso martinis in front of Boulder Natural. Oh, that's great. That's really great time. classy. That's probably the most class <laughs> Pawtuckaway's ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, so we heard a lot of reports coming from different people, and one of the the most eye-opening reports we heard was that somebody was climbing at Sundown Ledge outside of North Conway in New Hampshire and pulled a bolt and his leg fell off. <laughs> okay. All right. So the report actually came to me, and this was just kind of Jay, uh, Jay's interpretation. This episode happened because somebody had mentioned, hey, you guys should do an episode on recent climbing accidents and sort of just draw some attention to that. And the first one that popped into my mind was the person who died out in Big Cottonwood Canyon. And so I said, oh, well, I heard about the one out in Big Cottonwood Canyon. What, what other... Uh, accidents have happened. And they said, well, over Memorial Day weekend, there was an accident at Sundown and there was an accident at Cathedral. They said, oh, I, I think the guy that that grounded out at Sundown is actually lost his leg. And I was just like, oh, whoa, that's like, that's some serious stuff. 
And it turned out that it came back to a fairly innocent Instagram post that you had made where you were sitting on your porch or something like that, presumably, and you had one leg extended and there was a word that said, it pointed an arrow to the left, it said leg, pointed an arrow to the right, it said no leg. And from, from <laughs> that, they had extrapolated that you had actually lost your leg. Now, they were very concerned for you. Like it was not anything like anyone was trying to blow this up on purpose, but they were very concerned. So Jay reached out to you to, to get the real story. So Well, and it was fortuitous, actually, because you reached out to me asking about uh, Link Up at Sundown. And I was like, hey, weren't you the guy who pulled the <laughs> bolts? And when you did the Link Up, was that before or after the leg situation? Yeah, yeah. Are you just looking for a Link Up that would work well with one leg? Or what's the, <laughs> what's the deal? Yeah, so uh, Jesse, why don't you take us through what happened? And, and let's set the record straight here. Right. All right. There's a lot to unpack there, including my leg, which is very much intact on, on both sides. That's great. We're really happy to hear. Yeah. So I did the link up before the accident. What was happening was when I was at Sundown, I did a new link up of She's Crafty into Agronaut, which is really fun. And y'all should check it out. And what are those two roots? She's Crafty is a 12D that has really burly and really fun start. Yeah. Um, and it kind of gets into jug territory. And then Agronaut is a super fingery, crimpy, old school 13A. And there's this left side pull flake that hadn't been chalked up. And using the side pull, you can like strike out right from She's Crafty into uh, Agronaut. Cool. And it's kind of like a, I mean, I say it's a link up, but it's the most vertical way up the wall. I love I love that kind of stuff where you're like, this could have just been the line, you know? Yeah. I called it Mithril because it was a hidden gem in the cave. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, that's a short wall, but it's really packs a punch, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. So I did that. I was feeling good. It was, you know, first day out of the long weekend. So I was ready to go and try some harder, harder climbs. And I got on this open project uh, that Q put up. It's a permadraw line. So there's permadraws all the way up. And the first bolt is like kind of high up. I assume it's because it, it shares the start with Confederates of Dunces, another line that goes up the cliff. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's tried protectionable in the first few feet. So I assume that's why there's no like fixed gear in the first section. And it was scrambled up, stick clipped the first bolt from a standing ledge, and then climbed up, checked out the first bolt. It looks fine. Climbed up to the second bolt, and I couldn't find a really good clipping stance. And I didn't want to drop the rope while trying to clip. So instead, what I did was I hopped off. Probably I could have downclimbed, but it's one of these weird laybacky things where, you, you know, you're high up enough. You just want to hang on the draw and figure it out. So I hopped off. The fall was long. I saw the first bolt rip out. And then basically for the last, you know, few tens of feet, I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. The entire thing was very cerebral. Like I was looking at it. I was processing it. And then I lamented hitting the ground because I knew it sucked. <laughs> oh, jeez. You oh, lamented man. before hitting the ground? Like you were lamenting in the air? Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. About how high up was this? Different people have different opinions about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all right. There, there are obviously a lot of opinions flying around about this. Well, so. and this will get yeah. higher over the years, too. So yes. that, that yeah, this, yeah. this you have height to will, leave, will, will leave grow. Some, uh, some allowance for that. Yeah. <laughs> So my best guess is at least 25 feet. And the okay. reason why I say that is because 
you know, it's around 10 feet between bolts. And then the first bolt was really, really high up. It's not something that you would have been able to stick with from the ground. So that's just my best guess. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, nobody's going to uh, be going out there with the tape measure to test it. I just think it gives some perspective of, you know, it wasn't like your standard 10 feet off the ground first bolt. It was like it was up there. Yeah. Yeah. Considering you had to scramble up to a ledge and then stick clip like that kind of gives it some perspective for sure. So you hit the ground and then how did you land and like in what like what was the ground like where you where you landed? So for those of you not familiar with sundown ledges and that part of the crag, there's a lot of really big burly boulders. It's kind of a talus field. And incredibly, I just landed in the one person sized flat spot on the ground. Wow. Missing all the big boulders. And I told you I was basically conscious for the whole fall. So I was looking at my feet, I was looking at my ground, and I fell exactly on, you know, my two feet. Wow. And it hurt like a, you know, like a truck. But um, I did not hit my head. I did not hit my hip or back. I just landed straight on my feet, knew that I was going to be okay. Like it hurt, but I knew I was thinking, I was like, I'm going to be alive. Yeah. Wow. And like on, on the way down, there was a question. And when you hit the ground, you were like, I will recover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this might right. be a bit of an aside, but do you boulder much? I do. Yeah. I love bouldering. Do you feel that that's a skill that you've developed bouldering, which is like the ability to fall oh that's a good question i haven't thought about it but i probably do have more experience taking ground falls than the average sport climber (laughs) so you might be right yeah (laughs) i was listening to a podcast with johnny dawes recently and and he was talking about how he would train to fall because he would do a lot of stuff without crash pads and and falling off of really necky leads and things like that. And he was like, yeah, no, like you learn to slow down time and, and spot your landing and, and how to absorb the fall. And I mean, I, I have some experience with that from my action sports background, skateboarding, snowboarding, like, uh, you know, you'd be upside down in a situation where most people would be like, well, I'm dead. And you're kind of like, well, if I throw my feet this way, I can rotate and I can land, you know? So you really can work that as a, as a skill. Mm-hmm. So nice job. <laughs> yeah, good job sticking the landing on yeah. that. I actually, I saw a video you posted on Instagram, a story where you do have a, a walking boot on your foot. So what happened then? Okay, so right, that's half the story, the, the, the falling part. The other incredible part that I think I forgot to mention is I'm pretty sure I ended up rolling onto the pile of rope that was underneath me which padded up the fall quite a bit. Oh, interesting. Because when I was lifted up by search and rescue, I noticed that I was tangled up in rope underneath me. Huh. So that could be a part of the reason why I didn't break an ankle. And there is like so much to unpack because we haven't even gotten into like, wait, the bolt pulled? Like, Yeah, no, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're definitely getting there. I just want to walk through how the, Jesse's doing. And, absolutely. And, yeah, no, yeah. I'm just, I'm yeah. just, it, it was just kind of becoming aware to me, uh, apparent to me that it's like, wait, we're only checking out the tip of the iceberg so far. All right. We're burying the lead. Well, you know, the lead is like, we want to make sure you're okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the prognosis is foot is broken, right foot is broken in three different places. But that's pretty much it. My left thigh took a bunch of bad internal bruises and hematoma and all that stuff, which really sucks for the first week. But, you know, your blood recovers pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm able to bike now. I can't really walk yet, but I can bike. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) 
so the recovery is going to just be basically cure the broken foot, you know, keep it in the boot, wait a few months, and then it will heal, hopefully. Wow. Given the situation, you are very lucky. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing how often I hear of these accidents uh, where so much could have gone wrong. Now, of course, some people, they get the worst of it, but like so often in climbing, like I, I just feel like there's like a, a swarm of guardian angels over these crags being like, uh, oh, well, there's, <laughs> there's one, there's one, get him. I mean, of course, a huge part of it is the skill and the, and the, the landing in an athletic way. But I mean, you had to hit that, you had to hit that good spot. There was plenty of spots where, you know, you could have lost the leg. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to make light of the, you know, how bad it could have been, obviously. I yeah. mean, you're, you're a scientist, right? You run that, that experiment, however many times, and you're going to get a lot of different results, right? I mean, and you, you sort of, you hit the right result given the situation. Absolutely. Really, really happy to hear you. All right. Part of the untold story is also that immediately as I hit the ground and I was able to feel my foot and I had this sort of internal composure saying that, just you're going to be okay. My mind immediately went into medical bills. So I'm an international person. I don't have that much, you know, financial buffer in this country. And I've been unlucky enough to go through different levels of medical hoops in the past. So immediately when the, you know, search and rescue came, I rejected the medical line they're going to put me on and basically tried to stop as much as I could of getting into the ambulance because as soon as I get into that car, that's $5,000 yeah. um, out of my pocket, you know? So that's another part of like these injuries is it would be nice if you could just take the medical help that you can get and be okay. But the reality is that like oftentimes people like me can't. Such a harsh reality. The medical team was very convinced that my femur must've broken. Oh, gotcha. because you had that pain yeah. in, in your, in your thigh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's hard to fall that, far without breaking a femur <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i basically convinced them that my femur was not broken by lifting my left leg and made everyone gasp and i was like guys it's painful but it's okay like it's <laughs> oh <laughs> man and like what a horrible position to be in where you know you're in this traumatic situation and you have to be like no i can prove to you yeah. that i don't no. need your help it's like geez you know <laughs> we're, we're here to rescue you now dance Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. Exactly. <laughs> you didn't end up getting in the the ambulance. Did you get yourself to a hospital, or how did that work? I mean, I had a huge network of supportive friends around me, and then we got to the hospital. And as soon as I was in the ER, I knew that all that comes into one bill. So I'm happy to receive whatever medical attention that they they think they need to give me. So I got x-rays, got a CAT scan, was there, you know, until four in the morning. And yeah, the prognosis again was, you know, broken feet, but all else will recover quickly. I mean, and you seem in good spirits. I mean, this is the first time we're meeting you, but you, you seem kind of, you know, you're going to get through it and you're, you're already climbing with the boot I saw. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> but down climbing, I noticed not, not jumping off. That's smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about the bolt. So, what can you tell us about the bolt? Oh, oh he he's got it. Yes, still on the draw. Yeah, the hanger. Still on the draw. Did the nut come off? The nut like exploded into the woods. So okay. I don't think we could find it. So that was our theory: was that it would have been a wedge bolt where the nut had come off the threads. Is that like was it the uh, the nut loose? No. 
I, I didn't go and touch the nut, but I tapped the bolt, right, because I was stick clipping it. And you know when it's a spinner because it spins. Yeah. But it was not a spinner. It was pretty solid. It was just not really loose or spinny in the way that you would. Like, like the first fold on Agronaut is a spinner. Like, so yeah. I know that's going to be not super bomber. So I back it up with a second, whatever. But this bolt, like, unless I think I pulled on it physically, I would not have been able to tell. And the messed up thing is my friend was on the same route and hung on that draw the day before. Wow. Oh. So it, what what's left in the rock? Is it just a stud sticking out of the rock right now? Or is there nothing? Is it just a hole in the rock? I think there's a stud sticking out. Um, I haven't gone and seen it myself, but my friend went up to the crack the next day and told me that the stud is still in there. This is something that does happen. Uh, you know, of course, I trust your judgment that you tapped it and it wasn't spinning. But like, as far as, you know, we do a lot of informal bolt studies, right? So like I was on uh, social promotion, which I've been projecting. And the last bolt on that at Bonsai is a wedge bolt, meaning the that's got a stud that sticks out and a nut that goes on. And I took like a 20 foot fall on that last bolt one day. And then I pulled up and I hand tightened the nut like three rotations, you know? And oh, so- gosh. Yesterday I got on the route and uh, before I got on the route, I went up peer pressure next to it and then swung over and tightened that nut. I brought a, a wrench up and I tightened that nut down real well. But yeah, th- that's one of those things that is probably the lowest hanging fruit for like fixing or protecting against a, a full failure uh, of a bolt. Well, yeah. So if, our, you know, if you indulge kind of like a technical bolt conversation the wedge bolt so it's a nut sticking on a a threaded stud and there's no tension on that nut like a a sleeve bolt where it's it's the head of a of a bolt that's sticking out there's tension on that bolt because it's pulling against the cone in the back whereas on a on a stud bolt on a wedge bolt there's no tension on that nut so when that nut does loosen if it i mean you're saying it's not spinning but if it were spinning that spinning of the hanger often destroys the threads. So then when you try to tighten the nut, it will be tight, but not tight on the hanger because the threads have been destroyed because it's spun so much. So like, that's a very common failure point of those bolts. Yeah. Not to say that that's what happened, but, but that's just something that can happen. Yeah. That was the first thing that Lee and I were texting about this. And like, that was the first thing that came to mind. Immediately we were like, oh, I hope he's okay. And of course, then the next thing our brains go to is, all right, now how did this happen? Like getting into like the technical (laughs) aspect, because it's incredibly hard to physically pull a bolt out of the wall, even if it's a really poorly placed bolt. (laughs) Yeah. My friend's theory was that it's somehow just the nut was hanging on the last thread and it wasn't, you know, spinning or anything, but the thread itself just gave out. Yeah. I don't know if that's realistic. That was my next question, which was how far out of the rock is the stud sticking? Right. So if Mm. the stud is sticking a, a solid inch out of the rock with good threads, like that doesn't make any sense. But if it's sticking a half inch out of the rock, you know, like, so maybe the nut was just on a few threads and just you your fall had enough outward because you jumped off right so maybe there was enough outward pull that pushed the nut off the end of the bolt and then it failed i mean this is like this is a freak situation we'll have to send our science correspondent Catherine hinkle out there to do some studies on the bolt (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I think um, some folks from IME are headed up there to re-equip it or analyze it. So yeah, that's good. Someone probably will figure it out at some point. Yeah, that's maybe a good segue into the bolting at sundown. What do you think about... I mean, you're... <laughs> You're kind of a unique person to ask about this. But what do you think about the bolting at Sundown? Now, uh, full full disclosure: if you aren't if you aren't up on the podcast in general, uh, we did talk about the bolting at Sundown like just the other day. Really? Yeah. So most of the roots are put up in the '90s. Not this one that you were getting on, obviously, but most of the roots are put it, put up at the advent of sport climbing, and they're the bolts and the hardware are sort of ending their life cycle, right? I mean, you get thirty. 40 years out of, you know, hardware, and then you kind of have to replace it. So like sundown needs a refresh. And by the way, it'd be nice to bolt a warm up there. I mean, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's that one, uh, the one to the intermediate anchors on promised land that we all use as warm up, but you know, it's not enough. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've looked at that like 510 dike route to the left of Eilis. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a great warm up? I've never gotten on it because no, it looks nobody so has. uninviting. Yeah. It looks very uninviting. Nobody has. But if it cleaned up and it was like, you know, it looks like pretty good holds up that dike, like kind of a, like an easier Dikenstein, right? Oh, so, for sure. But that's a trad route and we're not allowed to do that. So. <laughs> so to go back to your first question, the bolting on sundown, I'm not a bolt expert. I'm a mere consumer of the goods i wish there were more bolted routes that's the extent of my opinion i think i think there's so much more potential to put up you know a lot, <laughs> a lot of lines on that cliff but i don't own a bolt gun and i don't have the expertise so from the consuming aspect it's kind of like oh i want more of it yeah i don't think you're alone in in that you know i mean i think climbing is moving into a what into a place where we have more climbers, so therefore we need more routes. That's really been a motivation for for myself, I think Lee as well, you know, because there are more climbers. There are more of us now, so we need more places to do it. And also, the longer we climb, the more we use up the stuff we we're interested in, and now we, uh, you know, we want new stuff ourselves. So it's uh, something we can do for the community while also doing for ourselves. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I was looking at your Instagram and, you know, you're definitely a really strong climber and it looks like you've climbed some, some really impressive routes. I mean, once the foot heals and once you're, you're, you're back at it, what are, what are kind of your, your goals moving forward? Oh man, that's a, that's a really hard question because I've been thinking so much about it until this injury and then yeah. I'm like, yeah. all right, push back everything six months. And also add another letter grade to it because I'm going to be hangboarding for the next six months. So I'm going to oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't need your foot to train. Injuries really are like a way to kind of refocus your training. And, and uh, you know, your technique always gets better because when you come back, you have to work around these challenges and stuff. Yep. So I've always really, really enjoyed being an all-around climber. So bouldering, sport, ice, like they're all, they're all my favorites. So... One thing I had in mind was I only just sent my first 14A like last year. Congratulations. And Congrats. Thank you. I would love to explore more of, you know, the higher end sport climbs in New England, which there are many. Which was the 14 you sent and when did you do it? All right. So it's really a big boulder, fittingly. It's in Smuggler's Notch. It's called Something Wicked. Okay. Have you guys been on it? No, I haven't. What's it like? It's a really, really sick feature. So it's basically like a very, very large boulder that fell off the cliff and got wedged in between the talus field 
And it's a really, really proud and fun line. It starts off with a boulder problem, basically, and then goes into a no handrest into like chill sport climbing. Hold on, back up. So there's rock climbing in Vermont? I, I wasn't aware. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just ice climbing. <laughs> All right, I just, I just looked it up. And yes, Jay, I can confirm there is rock climbing in Vermont. Okay. I, all right. All right. We have confirmation this, this of in. this breaking Man. news. Breaking news. <laughs> Jesse Hahn has a right foot and there's rock climbing in Vermont. Yeah. We are knocking down all We're of the conspiracies. The big issues. Yeah. 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 Looking at it, it looks like a beautiful, beautiful route. Anyway. When did you do that? That was back in um, last fall. And it's a really special memory for me because my dad, belayed me on it oh um, that's awesome the context is he's never belayed anyone before um, <laughs> <laughs> and he was visiting from <laughs> he was visiting from korea um i hadn't seen him in like a year and he wanted to go up to vermont and i was like we can go up to vermont as long as you belay me and he's like what does that mean <laughs> so i showed him a gregory <laughs> so you wow. had added, added was, motivation not to i was to gonna fall. say you were somewhere between being belayed and soloing <laughs> yeah. and being short roped <laughs> yeah. yeah the the really fun thing is in korean the word like can you give me slack really sounds like can you take out slack like just oh. the way that the grammar works yeah. what is the word give for example like could mean give slack to the belayer which doesn't make sense in a climbing context but grammatically in korean it really makes sense so whenever i would say can you give slack you would pull out slack because you thought he meant give slack to himself. Gotcha. <laughs> like, okay. Hey, can you take out slack? He'd be like, sure. Here's taking out slack to me. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, in my, uh, in lead lessons, I always run into some confusion with people with up rope, meaning take up rope and up rope, mm. pu- push the rope up. So they, that's that's a similar confusion, only in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you climb in Korea? No, no. I started climbing when I moved to the states like five years ago. Yeah. Oh. Our, okay. Our buddy, uh, our buddy Jeff Lacour just got back from South Korea. He was uh, out there for a wedding, and he did a little climbing. He hired a guide and, and went out and climbed. So oh, that's pretty cool. Nice. He loved it, by the way. He thought it was a beautiful place. So it's actually crazy. If you guys ever get tired of New Hampshire, bring your bolt gun to Korea. There's like every picture that my parents send me of you know the backyard and like the mountains. There's just granite everywhere. Wow. wow. Everywhere completely untapped. So you moved here five years ago and then you started climbing and then in five years you you did your first 14. That's that's impressive. Thanks. I actually, so I, I was more of a boulderer leading up to like last season. So Okay. And, and, and I mean, like you get full credit for the route, but also it being a bouldery route, like, you know, it helps yeah. play to your style. Yeah, that's cool. My progression has been a little weird. Yeah, so I hit my first D10 in the first two years of climbing and then got... Mm-hmm really tired of bouldering and then went off to a lot more easier like five eight five nine trad and ice climbing and nice oh that's great kind of then reconversion with bouldering and sport climbing is a recent discovery and it's been really really fun it's so nice to have that v10 in your back pocket you know (laughs) which you can you can i mean to mix metaphors you can play that card kind of whenever you want you know (laughs) and especially climbing out here that's interesting i had a similar thing where i I top roped for years, but then like I did some gym training, got up to like climbing 513 in the gym, 512 outside. And then I picked up trad climbing and I was like, oh, well, at least on a 5.8, I'm not going to fall. Like 
uh, <laughs> because you have that backup skill, you know, so that's really a helpful way to progress. Mm hmm. So do you have any, any roots that while you're hangboarding, when you're, you know, you're healing your foot, like that you're going to be on the fourth rep, like what route are you thinking about? Instead of a route, I have a boulder in mind that I would love to return this fall. It's called Roses and Blue Jays. Oh yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful boulder. And there's this just one move where it's a one arm lock off, off of a three finger drag. And it's one of these things where I've long unlocked all the other moves. If I know if that one goes, you know, you can link it from the bottom to the top. Nice. That's in Massachusetts, so, right? Yeah, it's in Western Mass. Wait, um, what, what do you have against New Hampshire? Well, yeah, what do you... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think we kind of know what you have against New, against New Hampshire at this point. Yeah, right? <laughs> the whole thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, no, no. That's a gorgeous looking problem. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really high on my list. I mean, in New Hampshire... Of course, there's so many routes that I would love to do. I would love to try my hand at, you know, Q's roof problem again once it's, you know, refurbished. China Beach is always on everyone's mind. Yep. Um, I know there's a podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were just, I was just going to plug the, like our related podcast, the China Beach podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. We don't talk about that route. They talk about that route. <laughs> Ward Smith was, was on our podcast and then like, immediately like i guess he got he got one fix and he just wanted more so like the next day he was on china beach podcast he kept referring to our podcast as the podcast though so i think you know oh. I, think, I think we all know <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah it's uh, not our podcast it's the podcast yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah so i had a, a broader question i guess about recent accidents in climbing. So we're obvi we obviously have more people climbing these days. And I think that we have more people who are trying to pr progress more quickly. And you are somebody who progressed very quickly in the, in the activity. I don't know. I wanted to know your thoughts on that because like, so there was yet another accident on retaliation. Have you done retaliation? Yeah. And I also was in the ER with the guy. I'm sure there's some HIPAA violation yeah, that yeah. prevents me from talking about this, but he was not in a good state. Um, oh. He was not in a state where we'd be talking, but he was next door. And I mean, without HIPAA violations, do you have any uh, um, other knowledge of that accident? Or Yeah, um, he's just in a much poorer state. Like, he got the short end of the straw. Um, oh. So, mm. not looking great. So. Well, we should follow up on that and, and cover that later. But just in general... I don't know that that route has I've, it's been seeing accidents since I started climbing around here 25 years ago. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, without speculating about what actually happened, because, you know, we certainly don't know. And um, we wish that climber the very best. Absolutely. But there are certainly routes that have some combination of characteristics that make them more likely to see accidents. Yeah. One that comes to mind is double cross and Joshua tree. OK, that's the five, seven looks like a really sinker hand crack right outside the campground. Everybody walks past it, but it's not like the the first kind of moves getting into the hand crack are just a little funky and maybe a little not protected well enough. And, and maybe a little know, bit, not five, seven. Yeah. Maybe a little <laughs> bit, not five. So it lures people in with this, you know, facade of easy climbing, but it's not. And I, I think retaliation falls into that category where you look at it and you're like, that's a striking splitter diagonal crack. 
but then you get on it and you're like, I can't see in the crack. Like, I, I don't know if my gear is good. It's really yeah. foreign, like foreign movement. Yeah. And I, I think that as we see more people in climbing, these routes that do tend to have more accidents become more obvious because there are more accidents on them. And I'm wondering if like, is it up to somebody to say like, this is a route that sees a lot of accidents? Like, is that the guidebook author who says that? Is that mountain project who says that? Like, is that just like, you know, the, the lore of the area? Like I have so many thoughts on this too, because that's something that I see quite a bit um, amongst my like immediate friend circle as well, where the, the logic will be this, like, Oh, Jesse, you've been climbing only for like a few years and you're doing all this. So I should be able to go and do this all too, right? And the answer is yes, of course you can. But just keep in mind the fact that I've dedicated a lot of time into intentionally, you know, diversifying my climbing portfolio and accidents. That doesn't just because we've been climbing for the same amount of number of years doesn't mean that we have the same level of attention to what could happen and what could go wrong. So in terms of JT, for example, I was just there last, last December and even the easier routes, sometimes you top out and then you have no idea where down climb. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The down climb is the crux often. And none of that is really in either the mountain project description or even in the guidebook. And I think yeah. part of it is the sort of, you know, machoism that climbers might need to drop, right? Like they want to remove the parts that were hard for them. They want to not talk about the parts that are actually you know, challenging for them because they want to feel like, ah, this is the route. I did it. I'm a strong climber climb, you know, Yeah. versus if we could all open up a little bit more about this route, like genuinely is difficult because of the down climb or the gear finding is really tricky and just be able to admit that and just post it publicly will be so, so good. And it will be a culture shift. Yeah. Like you say, the culture shift, like there's this egotism that climbers get, which is, it's not that hard, right? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's super run out, but it's not hard there. Well, you know what? Like holds break or, you know, or people like, pull. like the, these things happen or people like sit there and smirk at like, you know, almost like as if it's a fun sandbag trick to be like, yeah, yeah. I, I told them it's just, you know, just walk off the back, you know? And like, and they know that there's some specific beta to how to walk off the back, you know? I think like, you know, there's the sandbag of difficulty and then there's the sandbag of safety. And I think especially back in the day, the sandbagging people on safety was actually kind of a funny joke to them. And I think mm. that needs to go away. Like, I think that these days yeah. there's too many people climbing and too many people that don't have the experience trying to get into some more advanced stuff. Yeah, it's time to like really share every bit of safety beta you have because there's no reason to be. I don't know, oversensitive about accepting the safety advice or holding back that safety advice because you didn't get it right. Like, well, yeah. nobody told me how to do that. I had to figure it out on my own, you know? Well, climbing was in its adolescence then, right? I mean, I made a lot of bad decisions as an adolescent and I think climbers made a lot of bad decisions when climbing was in its adolescence where, you know, you were in a smaller group and it's like, Hey, it's fun to, push my friend's ability by lying to him about a climb. Like that's a yeah. fun pastime while I'm sitting on the, on the ground drinking PBR and belaying with my ATC. Like, <laughs> but it's, that's not what climbing is anymore. Like climbing is, there are far more people in the sport and 
it's not a tight knit community like it used to be. Like Jesse, you've been climbing for five years at a high level, and this is the first time we've met you. So, and we're like, we live what an hour and a half away from each other. So, and like, we, yeah, like, we inhabit the same crags except for Vermont and Massachusetts. But, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I, I will tell you, like, do you climb at Farley at all? Oh. All the time. All the time. Like, yeah. all the time. I will yeah. tell you that like my least favorite thing about Farley is how much I like Farley because it means I have to go down there, you know, once in a while. <laughs> I, I love, I love Farley. I'll catch you down there anytime. But yeah, I would love to reiterate like just the level of information that's not being shared because of this egotism. And I think because it's not listed publicly, when I give this advice to my friends or my acquaintances that want to go and do some route, they don't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Because I'll point out, be like, hey, guys, you're signing up for this thing. This is non-trivial. And this will take a lot of effort. And I want you to take more time considering and also do a lot more time for yourself for this multi-pitch route. But because it's not a common knowledge that's, you know, on mountain projects saying that that isn't the case, I think it just sort of goes over their heads because it's just one guy saying, you know, the one guy crying wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like people wanting to go climb like Cannon Cliff, their first year trad climbing. I'm just like, if you're going to do that, go with somebody else who's done the wall, you know, many times that can like kind of hold your hand because, you know, people will go, oh, yeah, I want to get into trad climbing. I'm thinking maybe Whitney Gilman or Moby Grape, you know, in the fall. And I'm just like, <laughs> dude, like calm down, you know, <laughs> settle down. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you take this to the extreme and it and it gets absurd though, right? Where every move is documented. I mean, there there needs to be some level of unknown and adventure. That's really where the I, I think that's the mm-hmm. beauty of climbing in a yeah. lot of ways. But to know that certain routes have a reputation of having had a lot of accidents, I think is something that maybe guidebook authors need to say that maybe we need to communicate more uh, as climbers. Like we need to become more close knit. Yeah. That is one nice thing about the mountain projects community. I mean, the, the, the infrastructure is there to communicate the information, but not everybody's going to read through all the comments. Not, you know, not everybody's going to utilize it in that same way. So yeah, it would maybe if like admins had the power to sort of put, you know, like, well, I mean, we do, we could, we could add like an R to a root, but I don't think that retaliation is an R root. No, you can protect it well. It's a PG root that like can be easily messed up, you know? Yeah. But anyway, like some sort of a, a, a notation that says that this has seen a high number of accidents or, you know, something well, like that. But it's, it's also hard to talk about just because I'm like, well, you can protect it well, but like, can you protect it well at the grade? You know? Yeah, right. Like, do you have to be a 5'11 climber yeah. to climb it at 5'9? Like, we can protect ah. it well because yeah. you can pull your V10 move, Jesse, to put <laughs> put in your stopper. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like, if it's not protected at the grade, like if it takes 5'11 yeah. effort to put in gear on a 5'9, or, or I knowledge. wouldn't say that's protected well, necessarily. Right. Yeah, and that's the whole thing, too, is all like, well, yeah, it doesn't take 5'11 muscle, but it takes a 5'11 mind, you know, like just throwing that number <laughs> out there, you know, you know like, like what yeah. is, what is yeah, difficulty? Yeah. Like difficulty. Lee, you involves... have 5'12 muscle with a 5'8 mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming from you, I, I consider, coming from you, I consider that actually a compliment since you are, you value the, the brawn quite a bit. So. <laughs> yeah. But just to reemphasize what Jay touched upon, 
it's, it's such a fine balance again because we're all into climbing because we have this adventurous mind and we love to explore the things that people haven't spoken about so somewhere between those two limits must be a happy medium and we're definitely not at that happy medium right now so yeah <laughs> and, and it's really problem. hard it's really hard to know what you don't know right like everybody thinks that they have a grip on things until they don't you know pardon the climbing pun but I, yeah, I won't throw anybody under the bus, but yesterday when I was at Romney, I saw somebody having trouble cleaning a root. It wasn't anything that looked dire, but I just kind of said, oh, hey, you know, uh, have you cl- have you cleaned this root before? Because I knew a trick that would make their lives easier, right? And they just very, like, clearly just were like, we're all set. And I was like, um, oh, excuse me? He's like, we're all set. And I'm like, okay. And to be honest, I had to walk away from the crag and go sit off to the side because I didn't want, I could not watch them struggle, you know, and, and just kind of sit there. Were you like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> I've, I've done every route at Bonsai. Don't you know who I it's am? It's actually kind of funny because I overheard <laughs> somebody else who got into it explaining to them who I was. <laughs> that's good. If you can get other people to spray yeah. for you, like that's next that level. That way you don't have to brag about yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Um, but anyway, no, it's just that whole thing of like, and, and this person wasn't inexperienced. They just, you know, they were not open to hearing more, you know, and it's like, I would hope that I'd be the person who, even if I thought I knew everything, would be willing to hear maybe a next level trick that someone has. And I I, I know I've, I've done that before where I just kind of humble up and say, sure, I'd love to hear what you have to say. They tell me, and then I can either use it or not. It doesn't, it shouldn't cost you anything to just hear, you know, hear what somebody yeah. says. And now imagine me taking a new friend out to Spore Crag and stick with the first two bolts because I tell him or her, um, I'm sticking with the first two bolts because I know that first one might pop. And they'll be yeah. like, no way, dude. Yeah. It's like, well, you want to see the scars? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, good exactly. judgment comes from the ability to survive bad judgment, right? There you go. <laughs> it's not a first ascent episode till we till we throw that one out there. Yeah. But it's yeah. very true. It's very true. And, and like, not to say that that was bad judgment. I mean, I probably would have done the same. It's just... Bad, bad luck, luck <laughs> yeah. Bad luck. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is with so many climbers doing so many pitches every year, there are some odds and we don't want to be on the, on the bum end of those odds. So is that like chaos theory or like the law of large numbers? Like you're going to get strange results given that you've done the experiment so many times. Right. Yeah. So if you take a Gaussian, right, and you multiply it by a thousand people, or even like, you know, a hundred people, there's always going to be a handful of outliers because that's what a normal distribution is. So yeah. I, this time I was unlucky enough to be, well, actually, I was incredibly fortunate to be the cross section of two Gaussian distributions, the tail of which who fell because a bolt popped, and then the other tail of which who fell that far and then, you know, freaking walked away with yeah. one broken foot. Yeah. So. I'm feeling very lucky. You're, you're very, you're very lucky in a very unlucky situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, That's cool. Right. Now we did just uh, dip our toes into science. So I just got to ask, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's your deal with, uh, with astrophysics? Like where, and like, how's that going? <laughs> what's your deal with astrophysics? That's your question. Yeah. I mean, like, I, this tell is us hard about hitting. the nature of the this universe, is, Jesse. I think hitting, that's a fair uh, question. <laughs> This is a hard-hitting journalism here. <laughs> Do you no, have the it, grand unifying theory of everything? No, it's a, it's an opening for you to tell us about something else that I find really interesting. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, it's my day job, ironically. My day job is an astronomer. So my field is called galactic archaeology. 
because we collect these stellar fossils to piece together the sort of evolution history of our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And then particularly, I've been thinking more about how to use our galaxy as basically a detector for dark matter, right? Dark matter comprises most of matter in the universe. I actually just recently listened to a two-hour podcast about dark matter, so I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up. I'm with you. You know, you're the second person to have told me this. I was like, who's out there talking about dark matter on podcasts? It was on Ologies. Have you ever listened to Ologies podcast? Yes, it was that podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really good. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to look for these observable signatures of dark matter onto the motions of stars. And it's a lot of fun. I love my job. I feel very blessed that I can make a modest living out of it and stoked that I can climb still and, you know, all the things. That's Are there practical cool. applications for what you're working on or is it pretty much theoretical at this point? Practical meaning outside of astrophysics or within astrophysics? I'd like something that would affect like people's lives. Mm, not in a direct way, but basically a lot of my work goes into developing models and then using high performance computing to solve these problems. And that is a generalizable tool, right? If you want to predict the climate, you need to build models and they need to run these large supercomputer simulations. And they're all really based out of the same sort of format, right? So my stick is, you know, we're not curing lives or curing cancer here, but we are still pushing the limits of what scientific tools can accomplish. And that can be redirected into whatever problems face you know, society eventually. Mm -hmm. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, you're pushing the human race forward, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. In a little small way, but everyone is. You're developing routes. That's pushing the human race towards. That's what life. I say. That route development is as important as the study of the universe. Like that, you know. I I, I say that yeah. all the time. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're kind of running out of time, but before we go, we didn't mention it at the top, but do subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, we're. <laughs> We're not going to keep doing this if you don't subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've, I've had some people, you know, uh, just kind of say, man, you guys won't shut up about your Patreon now. And it's like, well, you know, this, this costs us money. So, you know, yeah. take, take, take it easy on us. But I, we gotta eat, I, I also want to kind of redirect the conversation about the Patreon to also say thank you guys so much for those of you who have subscribed because we're actually starting to gather a good community on there. And so thank you guys for supporting us. So. Yeah, new content all the time. And yeah, if you're not subscribing, you're pretty much not a climber. <laughs> all right. So, Jesse, thank you so much. It's thank been, you, Jesse. It's been great meeting you. I hope to get to climb with you once you're all healed up. And uh, and yeah, uh, good luck on your healing process. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of First Ascent Podcast. We're really happy that you stopped by. Uh, if yeah. you like what you've heard, you can rate and review us. Please rate us five stars. At least five stars. We don't want any lesser ratings. And you can find us on Instagram. Our Instagram is First Ascent Pod. And we also have our own self-promoting Instagrams. Mine is XXLeeWeeXX. So extra. Mine's very basic. It's J-A-Y-K-N-O-W-E-R. Real original. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. See you next time.